Today's episode of Socially Democratic is presented to you by Dunstreet. Dunstreet is a progressive campaign agency that specializes in community organizing. We work with nonprofit and community-based organizations, trade unions, progressive businesses, and social democratic parties across the globe to develop campaign strategies, train engagement staff in leadership and power building, and help you execute your campaign with data-driven tactics and actions. And in 2022, Dunstreet will continue to work with folks that want to share their stories, inspire others, take action, and organize communities for change. To find out how you can partner with Dunstreet, hit us up at dunstreet.com.au. Today's episode is also brought to you by Morris Blackburn Lawyers. Morris Blackburn Lawyers have spent more than a century paving the hard path to justice for everyday Australians. They've helped over 500,000 Australians turn their situation around and they know how the system works. The, uh, their experience and skills mean that you get the best results possible. And to find out more, visit their website, morrisblackburn.com.au, Morris Blackburn, experience you can count on. Hello and welcome to another episode of Socially Democratic, your weekly centre-left politics and organising podcast, which is out each Friday, that dives into the progressive campaign issues of the day and the issues um, of the day and the people leading them from home and abroad. On today's episode, I'm joined by two former Labor Party uh, branch secretaries for the Victorian branch of the Labor Party, David Feeney and Eric Locke. The uh, report into uh, branch stacking and the misuse of public monies by ministerial and electorate office staff here in Victoria, uh, the Watts uh, investigation was handed down by the Victorian Ombudsman and the uh, IBAC um, the, uh, Commission uh, last week and there was a whole bunch of recommendations that came out of that and we thought we'd get David and Eric back on the show after we spoke about this uh, when the 60 Minutes report which first aired all of this back in June 2020. Um, uh, we had Eric and David on the show back then to talk about it and we thought we'd get them back, back on again today to do a bit of a, a, I guess, a review of what's happened since 2020, uh, which has been a lot, um, and also where to from here. So uh, fascinating conversation with those two uh, stalwarts of the Labor Party. Uh, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Stitcher. And if you like the show, give us five stars um, when you're done listening to today's episode. And for all the updates, follow Dunstreet on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and LinkedIn. Okay, let's get to today's episode. We are taping this one on a Friday afternoon on the lands of the Wurundjeri people. It's a gorgeous sunny afternoon here in uh, downtown Melbourne. Um, now, today's episode, uh, I want to just cast your mind back to June 2020 when 60 Minutes aired a program, a report into systemic branch stacking into the Victorian branch of the Australian Labor Party and on operations that were based out of ministerial and electoral electorate offices. Um, and following that 60 Minutes report into branch stacking, uh, the Premier of Victoria, Daniel Andrews, called on the National Executive of the ALP to intervene and place the Victorian branch into administration and was effectively then being run by Steve Brax and Jenny Macklin and the National Executive. And at that time, we did a podcast discussing first the problems associated with what's going on here in Victoria with the party uh, and also some of the solutions that we thought um, that could uh, help uh, address both branch stacking as well as structural and cultural reform within the ALP and I, to do that I was joined by two former party secretaries of the Victorian branch of the ALP, David Feeney and Eric Locke. 
since that podcast, a lot has happened. We've had an internal review into the party. We've had recommendations made and adopted. Uh, we've had an IBAC investigation that concluded last week and also a number of recommendations made from that. So we wanted to unpack all of the things that's happened in that time. And once again, I'm joined by these two wonderful human beings, uh, David Fee and uh, Eric Locke. Eric, welcome back to Socially Democratic. Thanks for having me. David Feeney, have you actually ever left the room? Well, I, I feel like I was with you for a long time during that federal election campaign, but it's a pleasure to be back. Wonderful. Um, let's start with the Brax-Macklin review, uh, which is hard not to say the Bracklin review, um, and cast our minds back to that 2020-21 period and provide some context as well for our listeners. So there was obviously a review into the party and how we can address um, some of the things that came out of that 60 Minutes report, uh, the rank and file membership and affiliates were asked to submit ideas and ways to address uh, branch stacking and cultural and structural reform. And from those submissions, Brax and Macklin made 37 recommendations that were adopted by the National Executive into the rules of the Victorian branch of the Labor Party. I'll just list a couple of them. I won't go through all of them, but membership payments through traceable means, so credit or debit cards, uh, no more bulk membership renewals done by branch secretaries, um, our branch structures then got folded into uh, one single branch based on state electorates in metropolitan Melbourne, but there were some, um, some uh, exceptions for folks in the regions. There's a cap on 20 members uh, that can join one branch per month. Uh, members get voting rights after 24 months of being a member of the Labor Party. Central branch uh, was abolished, which uh, for the folks outside of Victoria is something that I don't think any other branches have anyway. And a party monitor to be adopted um, that would oversee membership and record keeping and undertake regular uh, integrity audits of the membership. Uh, David Phoenix, starting with you, your thoughts on the uh, the recommendations that came out of the Brax-Macklin review and the changes that have been uh, adopted by the party to address some of the issues that came out of this uh, 60 Minutes report. Well, they were all um, individually um, we can look at them all and say they're you know, individually worthwhile, trace, traceable means, bulk membership renewals and so forth. Um, I was a little disappointed that the single SEC branch um, concept, which I strongly supported, I think has been substantially muted by the fact that um, FEA elections will continue to be the mechanism for sending delegates to state conference. So uh, branches are... Um, less relevant to that process, and I think that's a shame um, because I guess my policy intent was to try and bring as much of the uh, party life as possible back to those single SEC branches. And um, so having a divide between that and FEA elections, I think, was a mistake, but it's the kind of mistake that can be readily fixed. Um, I, I think when you look at the package overall, um, you can, you, you, we can essentially say that it's, you know, significant renovation of the existing um, structure. It's not a new structure. Um, there's not um, a new conception of what the Labor Party um, might be and how it could be better organised for contemporary society. Um, it's really just, um, you know, a bunch of people going in and fixing up the plumbing and electricity works of the existing structure. So. It, it means there's, it's not the kind of set of changes that are going to drive significant cultural change for the Labor Party, in my judgment. Um, it, it, it's really just um, a whole new set of constraints and rules um, a, around how people operate within the existing structure. 
Um, and so insofar as that's true, I'm disappointed because I think what the national executive and this whole process really did have an opportunity to do and was empowered to do was something more profound. Um, but they never really um, looked at that. They, they, they really always looked at this as a renovation of the existing structure rather than trying something completely new. In the, for those who love a little taste of history, in 1970, when there was a federal intervention into Victoria, the Victorian um, constitution at that time was completely reimagined. The national executive did things in Victoria in 1970 that had not been done before and not been done anywhere else. The introduction of PR, the introduction of um, rank and file conferences, a whole suite of things which didn't exist outside of Victoria, but which of course had lasting and profound changes on the Labor Party here and everywhere. And this was a chance to do something a bit like that, um, where we could have come up with a, uh, a completely new structure that contemplated um, the contemporary world we're in. You know, the fact that people are working from home, that people are online, that people are organising differently, um, that, uh, but none of that was done. Um, so I think it, there was an opportunity for bigger and more interesting reform and that was missed. Um, but as, you know, the, the Labor Party they found was a renovator's delight and they did a little bit of renovation. Eric Locke, your initial reactions to the recommendations that came out of the review? Yeah, I, I, I agree with David. Um, I think it's uh, they are all noble measures to address brand stacking as a standalone issue. What they don't do is reimagine a party along the lines of other successful organisations in Australia. And uh, as fond as I am, and I really am, I used to work for both of them, of, of Jenny and Steve, I wonder if they're the people who should have been charged with reimagining a membership organisation because their conceptions of branch meetings and the Labor Party go back to times when branches were vibrant, um, there wasn't really wholesale, wholesale branch stacking and, um, and, and, the, and this problem uh, did not really, you know, of, you know, people interacting online and joining causes as they wanted did not exist. So, um, you know, when people can join an organisation, become involved in campaigns of their choosing and donate to causes they pick, why are we sticking to the same old dated infrastructure and approach we've seen for the last 40 years? Um, denying rights to people for two years and capping joining levels are the same rules-based responses which we which have failed us in the past. And I maintain it does little to address cultural change. It will not result in the 20,000 extra members that they aim for. I think it will result in many less. Um, what's missing is, I hate to sound like a broken record, but making it easier to join, making it cheaper to join, multiple ways for people to engage in the party, uh, giving unionist voting rights in pre-selection for a limited membership as an idea. Um, and those things would just make brain stacking impossible and they would change the culture of the party back to being one of mass membership. When I grew up in Western Australia, we had about 30,000 members here. We've got 8,000 now. Um, 30,000 members would certainly take care of the brain stacking issue, I would have thought. Um, so, you know, having a rules-based response like this means that fundamentally the only people who benefit from more rules are those who know the rules. And that's not going to be people who join the party anew. Um, meanwhile, I paid $275 for my membership during the year, which I'll never use, except for when I'm asked to do things for them, which is multiple times a week. Um, it's a model that's kind of broken.
the things that I took out of our, I went back and listened to our podcast that we did in June uh, 2020 and the, the two key takeaways I took from both of your remarks were, one, if we just simply try and address the issue of brain stacking, the brain stackers will eventually work out ways to get around those rules. And two, we can't miss this opportunity about bringing in cultural and structural change to the Labor Party. And listening to your two reflections now, it feels like we've certainly failed on the second one, which is missing this opportunity about bringing cultural and structural change. And we're yet to see whether or not the, I guess, the business model of branch stacking has been broken. Um, but that uh, we'll, we'll find that out once you know the party's sort of handed back to 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 the membership. Why did we? Why did we miss this opportunity to reimagine the way that our party? can look into the future. Um, and I'll stick with you, uh, Eric, on this one, first of all. Yeah, look, I mean, I think it's easy. And um, and I think because uh, what it, David, David said is just dealing with the renovations around the edges of what is basically a broken down uh, house, right? Um, rather than building a new house on the same block. And I think, um, I think what we've done is just the problem we've got and deal with it in a very short order rather than um, holistic cultural change and building an organisation which engages better with people in and encourages them to join. And, you know, again, broken record, cheaper and easier to join, multiple ways to engage that aren't just them asking us to do things and and a genuinely member-driven party. Um, that's the way to get rid of brand stacking. Um, and I know David and I are both converse on the white roads to Damascus about this, but um, it's it, it's true that so the solution um, in other jurisdictions um, is that growth in membership will take care of brand stacking. Yeah, I I, um, I think the reason that um, a more ambitious approach wasn't taken is frankly because it just didn't occur to anybody who was involved at the central levels. Um, I mean, for the federal and state leaders, they, of course, are busy running parliamentary parties and governments and oppositions. They, they, had, they had a day job. Um, and so this task was really taken on by um, the national executive and um, together with Steve Brax and Jenny Macklin. And I think they just sifted through a whole bunch of, um, you know, formulaic responses and things that had been thought about previously but rejected and so forth. There was no real effort, I think, to go back to first principles and do something more imaginative. So I, I think the unfortunate answer is it just never, the opportunity never occurred to those who were charged with the job of rewriting our rules. The very first review, though, if we recall, um, they asked uh, it was broken up into three specific subcategories. One was how do we address branch stacking? Two, how do we create structural change in the party? And three, how do we create ch cultural change in the party? Yes, David, Eric, myself, and a number of other people together um, across the different um, parts of the Victorian Ranch Labor Party, I think it was like 10 of us, uh, put in a submission together, a joint submission. All the things that Eric just mentioned were in that submission. So it wasn't as if they weren't getting these ideas and we, weren't, we wouldn't have been alone in this. I'm sure that, you know, you know, I understand hundreds of people put in submissions and they would have all, um, at least in some way, come up with one or two suggestions in ways which you could address both structure and culture. So that documentation is in front of them. Um, and they got busy doing the, the rule changes stuff, but they just didn't then look at the cultural and, uh, and structural things. Maybe they're going to do that in the future. I don't know, but I get no sense of that's on their agenda, right? And Eric's shaking his head. Eric, your thoughts? 
I think they will get around to doing it in the future. It won't be them, though, because we'll have to do it. All this has done is kick it down the road, I think, as an issue, because people find a way to work around the rules they've introduced. Um, they will People will be policing the two-year time delay in, in voting, and... Um, and then they'll um, and then they'll be forced eventually to, to address the fundamentals of the party. I I just I think it's important though to to imagine what they what what they missed, which is they missed the advice of experts in engagement with non-members. So what they did is they spoke to members, right, and affiliates. So they spoke to people who are captives of the of of the machine that's not working. So their only lived experience is the machine that's not working. What should be done is non-member research, like a bunch of non-member research of people who might consider joining the Labor Party but haven't because of these barriers. Yeah. That, that That's what's lacking. Like if you talk to someone who's been disenfranchised by the Labor Party but has been a captive of the Labor Party for, for 20 years, like one of the independents, for example, they're gonna come up with all these problems. If you talk to someone out on, out in, in, in suburban Perth about why they haven't joined the Labor Party, I'll say, I, I don't know how. They've never approached me. It's too expensive. It seems it seems too inaccessible. How do you address those barriers? That's what we've got to get to, and we're afraid of addressing it. And funnily enough, like, as you say that, Eric, I mean, six, as I've, if people have heard me say this before, out of the volunteers in the Community Action Network, these are Labor supporters, 65% of those volunteers in Victoria are not members of the Labor Party. They, they rock up, they knock doors, they make calls for Labor candidates, but they've not joined. We've got a core group of people there that we can just sit down and have a conversation with them and say, why haven't you joined? You're clearly one of us. You've actually gone and actually done some things for, the, for you know, you've actually, um, you, you've shown political activism, but you've actually not then gone and, and, and joined. David, your thoughts on Eric's remarks? Um, well, they probably haven't joined Stephen because no one's asked them. Um, and I mean, Eric's point is well made. This, this is a, a, I mean, what the Labor Party essentially did is carefully poll its declining market share and ignore um, the rest of the market that it's not getting a cut of. There are a million Australians, more than a million Australians, who are members of AFL football clubs. Um, uh, the, you know, we, we could do. We could have done a lot worse than sit down and ask them some questions about how they recruit and what their offering is. Um, so I, I, I think uh, the, the renovation job can be analysed as being it is what it is. But um, I think too, the pro, if these problems reemerge, uh, we'll be back to square one very quickly, um, and we'll find ourselves dealing with. Um, a set of renovated rules, not a renovated or transformed Labor Party. The um, th There was an audit conducted. I think, too, it's got to be... I, I, sorry to, to jump in, but I think, too, you know, inevitably this was a deeply political operation, and I think for a lot of participants, the kind of eradication of the sort of somnolent moderate Labor group was um, conflated with what success looks like. Um, and so you know, sort of eradicating that faction or sub-faction of the Labor Party it may or may not be a good thing. We can debate that. But, um, but it, 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 was, it was a very narrow objective which didn't meet the broader criteria that Eric and I were, were, were hoping for and, and that we've talked about. So I think for a lot of participants, you know, the mission was, 
you know, to, to wipe out that particular group, and indeed they did that. Um, but that's not long-term reform of the Labor Party. That's 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 shifting power dynamics on an existing um, board uh, and, uh, on a on a Labor Party that you know we well understand and has been around for a long time. I continue interrupting Stephen. I think David's right. It's banning the product without renovating the machine. Um, and look, the, there's a having done a bunch of research in unions and membership organisations down through the years, most of whom have declined in size. Um, what happens is that the approval of the product um, goes up amongst the membership, the less people there are. So you get a smaller group of disenfranchised people because they resign. So whenever you engage in this, you know, renovation projects and membership organisations, you have to talk to former members, you have to talk to people who are not members, who are potential members. Now, we missed all that. Um, so I think, therefore, we ignored the views of the cohort of people we're seeking to recruit back to the party. And that's where this missed the mark. Because most of these people don't want to go to branch meetings. Most of these people don't want to wait two years. Most of the people, most of them don't want to pay, pay $270. We're asking a teacher to pay $275 for the privilege of attending branch meetings mm. and handing out and doing some fundraising. Mm. It's ridiculous. The order to the membership uh, that was conducted uh, in, uh, in the, off the back of this, or whilst this review was taking place, found 1,700 members, um, people who purported to join the party but failed to complete a questionnaire that was sent to them. Um, they were purged from the party. Kim, former senator, but at the time Senator Kim Carr, said far too many... Oh, the wrong people had been arbitrarily purged and far too many of the stacked branches have retained their membership. Eric, I just want to get your thoughts on this uh, this audit of the membership. I was a bit miffed by the number. I personally thought that, that when they did the audit of the membership that it would be a higher number that it was purged. You know, the, the, the only 1,700 surprised me. I just want to get your reflections on this. So they were sent a questionnaire and those with supporting apparatuses around them to police the the um, completion of the questionnaire would have been well-placed to do so. The real people that probably weren't well-placed to do so at the time were the moderates faction, right? So, but let's not pretend that, that this is a, a problem isolated to them. As David says, it's a, it's a problem endemic to the machine. So I agree with you. I think we probably got, we might've got a third of it, but um, you know, it, it Basically, the process again favoured those people who knew the rules. Um, it didn't. It didn't do anything to address the the fundamentals of the machine. Um, and I maintain the only way to address those fundamentals are to have a genuinely large grassroots party, quite apart from the rules. David, your thoughts? I think the audit was a joke. I mean, just a joke. It was outsourced to a bunch of people who wouldn't know politics for punch them in the face. Uh, I mean, if you'd, if you'd printed off the membership list and given Eric and I a yellow marker pen and told us we had four hours, we would have come up with a prima facie case against 5,000 people, I reckon. Mm. Uh, we, we know where they are. We know who they are. We know how to find them. Um, 1,700 is a nonsense. Um, I'm glad so, they didn't. <laughs> I, I think they carefully made sure this job was done by people who didn't know what they were doing. Um, and go back uh, to my earlier point, it was it was a sort of a, a targeted strike rather than a broad reform effort. Um, now, I guess to, sort of to make a factional point, dare I say it, obviously I come from the right wing of the Labor Party, um, I think what's happened 
here, um, and this is an aspect that alarms me, um, is that uh, the, the, the list, uh, I mean, obviously the list has been culled to some extent, not enough, but to some extent. Um, but I think what it, it, when we finally return to, um, you know, a, a system in 2023 where there's, uh, where the Labor Party in Victoria is democratically constructed and looks very similar to the Labor Party of sort of 2020, um, what will, you know, there'll be FEA elections, unions will send delegations, we'll have a conference. I think what we'll find at that moment, and I don't know this to be the case, but I strongly suspect it, is that we will have a left-wing majority for the first time in a long time um, because the right has obviously been divided and a portion of the right has effectively been purged. Um, so uh, we will have a Labor Party that is structurally um, very, very similar, nearly identical to what existed previously. There will just be a new factional power structure. Um, and that... Uh, there are obviously large swathes of the right, and as far as I can tell, the entirety of the left, who have not had this microscope applied to them. So this has another effect, and we've seen this time and time again with these reform efforts, is that what they do is they, they freeze the membership, um, which means if you stacked the Labor Party prior to 2020 and you had the good fortune to be a stacker who wasn't in the Somjurek group, um, so that your stack survived the purge, then you have an ongoing organisational advantage because others cannot build the battalion that you have built and you can retain. Um, that, that phenomena has occurred to the party time and time again. So we've frozen the membership, including freezing the stacked parts of the membership. Um, and you know whether but there the other thing that's changed is that you know when we talk about can will, will branch stackers work out how to get around these rules and will business will their business model continue in some way well there is one change isn't there and that is that the stakes have risen um it's a lot more dangerous to be a branch stacker today because now you're not only breaking labor party rules I mean we'll come to this later on but you might be breaking the laws of the land um so the business model is um, certainly under a great deal more pressure, um, but perhaps for a time the Labor Party will settle on the membership that has survived this period, um, and I think that means the socialist left faction um, is poised to take control of the Victorian branch. As if it didn't already, though, David. I mean... Well, I mean, the right has divided into, you know, 1,700 warring... Yeah, and, of which one is required for the socialist left to reach a majority. But uh, it, that's to one side. Look, no, um, but that, that, that point's well made, Eric. That's absolutely true. And I think in recent times, the sort of splits in the right have become um, even more irreconcilable than they were previously. Mm. Yeah, well, we've, we've lived through kind of, you know, 15 years of that, more or less, um, which has not been helpful to any reform process. But um, yeah, I think I think a point that we shouldn't lose sight of here is that I have not voted in a Labor Party pre-selection since 1995, um, which was when I moved to Victoria, um, and that's outrageous. And uh, I don't see that ending anytime soon. And how do we hope to possibly attract people to the Labor Party with uh, when we have frozen membership, no no pre-selections? Um, we're essentially asking to fundraise and hand out how to votes. It's ridiculous. 
Where, and we have a parliamentary party at state and federal level that's, you know, that needs renewal and generation. There's a, you know, an outstanding generation that is retiring and will continue to retire over the next couple of parliamentary cycles. Um, you know, that the, the, they need to be replaced by people of real capacity. But we've been in cryogenic since for effectively 25 years. I mean, I handed out an Anthony Burns pre-selection, for example, in the mid-90s. Right? He's still there. Um, you know, there's a well, whole... Not now. Not now. He was still there, yeah. Um, but uh, renewal is an incredibly, has been an incredibly slow process, partly because uh, we've outsourced our pre-selections. Except for once, when there was a, an attempt to uh, attempt at some targeted coups against um, some dissident right wingers. Have we missed out? Has the party and the rank and file, or uh, people like yourselves and and everyone else out there that really wants to see some structural and cultural change to the party, have we missed our opportunity um, now? Or is there still a chance, whilst the party is still in administration and being run by the national executive, for the membership to kind of get their shit together and put pressure on whoever and say, hey? you've left off uh, a couple of questions that we wanted answered um, from that review. Um, Eric, do you want to give us a thoughts on that? Uh, Stephen, look, I've lived through three of these reviews, four of them, right? And I've more or less given up. I've watched Simon Crane, uh, Bob Hawke, Neville Rann, um, Beatty, I think. Um, you know, well, very few women actually now. <laughs> Jenny was the first, but I've, I've watched innumerable reviews that have essentially come up with the same thing that I've tried to enunciate and David has enunciated. We've then not acted on. And then Jenny and Steve have come up with something which is pretty much just um, slap some lipstick on the pig and on we march. So um, I've kind of, you know, for me, I've given up. I just make a choice to stay a member of the Labor Party because I believe in the principles, but have to do less. Just want to do less, David. Do you have a more of an optimistic view about this, or are you similar to? <laughs> no, not really. I mean, the, the it's over now. Um, you know, the report was handed in. The national executive has essentially governed the Labor Party on the advice of a handful of people for a couple of years. Um, those who like that system um, and have done well out of it um, will keep it alive for another six months or so and then the those who don't like that system will try and make sure there's a reckoning when um, voting returns to the victorian branch but for now the constitutional debate is over mm. um and the national executive and, and and the review is is done and dusted i i can't see there being any interest um in, in, at a serious level um for reopening this um but I mean, let's turn ourselves into profits for a moment. Um, you know, at some time in 2023, there'll be a series of elections. There'll be competition. There'll be contests um, down the road. Um, the next time there's a branch stacking scandal in Australia, uh, in the Victorian branch, it won't just be 60 Minutes and a bunch of overexcited factual apparatchiks running around with um, uh, uh, cameras. It will be uh, the police. Um, it will be. You know, we, we, this stuff has been moved into the law of the land and into a different domain, and I think it'll, uh, that will change things dramatically. It means the next crisis will be deeper and darker um, because it's not just the rules of the Labor Party that uh, will have been broken, but the laws of the land, and that changes the dynamic. Um, I will uh, use that 
uh, as a segue into the next topic. But before we do, I just uh, I will say to our listeners, I haven't lost, I haven't given up. Um, I hope maybe it's the you know the glass half full in me. And if anyone out there is actually interested in um, indicating a level of enthusiasm to for one to continue to push this, go to our Dunn Street website, dunstreet.com.au, and you'll find a bit we can get in touch with us. Just shoot us through a message um, and we might pull together a bit of a database of folks out there that want to keep pushing this uh, issue of cultural and structural change for the party. Let's talk about the uh, the the um, the review or sorry, the, the, the findings from this Operation Watts uh, investigation. So last week a joint investigation between the Ombudsman's Office here in Victoria and IBAC concluded that uh, their report uh, concluded their report into the misuse of ministerial and electoral offices for branch stacking the LP. The report provided a damning assessment of the party's culture and outlined a catalogue of unethical and inappropriate behaviour and it made adverse findings against former um, ministers Adam Somerick and Marlene Kairouz but stopped short of referring the pair to the uh, Director of Public Prosecutions for Criminal Charges. Um, to you, David, first of all, were you surprised uh, that there wasn't a referral to the DPP? Uh, no, I wasn't especially. I, I did... Um like every good um, apparatchik and former apparatchik, watch the um, public hearings um, and chew through my popcorn as I watched some of the most extraordinary uh, cross-examination and examination of witnesses. Um, and I guess what that revealed amongst all of the nonsense and incompetence was um, that the rules of the Labor Party might have been flouted um, and political staff might have been engaged in political work, but there weren't significant laws um, being broken, um, and that the regulatory and legislative regime governing the conduct of politicians and political staff was so fragmented and so um, riven with ambiguity um, that it was going to be very difficult to to find an actual offence. Um, they're not completely out of the woods. There's ministerial codes of conduct. There's other things, but um, uh, I wasn't surprised. I think the IBAC investigation um, made a, a number of sort of foundational errors in its approach. The, the first error it made was that it, it found itself um, judging the Labor Party and how people behave inside the Labor Party um, on a sort of a broad-based moral and ethical basis rather than looking for law-breaking and malfeasance. And so what that really meant was a group of well-heeled um, lawyers and judges looking shocked and ashen-faced, clutching their pearls and racing off down to the yacht club to tell their next tale um, as they were as they watched how politics and politicians uh, conduct themselves and reinforcing this notion that, you know, we need to get um, political life out of the hands of politicians and political staffers and into the hands of tribunals um, and commissioners and, um, you know, polite people who've been to the right schools and have the right approach, and so, which is just a different kind of discrimination, in my view, mm. um, and sort of um, de disempowering um, democratic processes is not the road to success. So we had this spectacle of, you know, hopeless, incompetent, mischievous ALP characters um, and uh, uh, ashen-faced and appalled uh, examiners. Um, but... And that created some life for the press. There was obviously enough there um, to, to create story after story. But it meant when the report finally came down, all of the salacious news had already been dri dripped out over the course of the public hearings. And so as far as the media was concerned, there wasn't much new. 
So it, it, it disappeared quite swiftly. Um, and I think really the, 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 the IBAC inquiry needed a much tighter focus um, and it needed to be far more clear-eyed about the fact that it wasn't just going to examine the Labor Party and how it behaves from a sort of a broad-based moral and ethical perspective. It actually needed to conduct a rigorous investigation. And, and, and it did that with people who don't know politics and don't know the Labor Party and weren't sure what they were looking for. Uh, Eric, I'll come to you in a second, but just to sort of pick up on that reflection there, David. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I didn't watch a lot of the public hearings, but the, the times that I did, the two things that I noticed was, one, they were sometimes asking questions about internal um, machinations of the Labor Party and branch stacking and whatnot, which would have been clear breaches of our party rules, but I just felt like that it wasn't the... I didn't understand why IBAC was investigating it. And the second thing was that the, the, certainly the solicitors uh, or the people who are asking the questions did not know anything about the internal machinations of the Labor Party. And it felt very eerily similar to the Tur- the Turk, is it the uh, Trade Union Corruption uh, yeah. Royal Commission, where um, the... the, the, the well, we now know Dyson Hayden had other things on his mind. Well, indeed. But I mean, <laughs> one thing, one thing, I mean, I, you know, shit, I bloody appeared before it. And one thing I learned from my own personal experience was they knew nothing about how unions worked. Um, yeah. And it's, I saw this repeating again in this, uh, in this IBAC investigation. Eric, what were your thoughts about the public hearings and broadly what, what's come out of it? Uh, yeah, look, I, I agree. They didn't know what they were looking for. They didn't understand what they were examining. And um, yeah, it was a lot like the, the Turk. Um, so I think a bunch of this stuff is kind of hard to, uh, it, it is extremely hard to understand. I mean, I think of my partner and trying to explain what brand stacking is, right? And it was phenomenally difficult. What, so these people don't know their members and they're voting, you know, like it's very, very hard. Um, and then for a very, even very intelligent people, then, then to understand how the, the structures underpin that and the misuse of funds that go with that, all that, is actually pretty complex and also very hard to very hard to legislate against, I think. Um, and in a criminal sense, um, doesn't reach a number of thresholds. However, I think crimes have been committed in the branch down through the years at a number of levels and have never really been looked at, including forging, forgery, falsification of document, documents and uttering. It's just that nobody's pressed the button because it's like a nuclear arms race, right? Once moment one person does that then everybody does it so um i watched it i thought some of the most compelling evidence was from um uh yeah the the young man who had been a, an electorate officer and then a ministerial advisor and he talked about he said look no matter what rules are changed and no matter uh, and no matter what what we might do in, in a legislative framework somewhere somewhere someone somewhere still has to make the judgment is this right or wrong and too often in the Labor Party in the past, people have been able to put aside what is wrong, for what is right for them and their political masters. And I think that's the problem that the review and this and this and IBAC will fa- fail to address. And it, exactly right. And it goes back to where we started, which is that what, what we've fundamentally got is an ALP um, structure that misaligns what the, what the qualities we need in a candidate and the qualities someone needs to win a pre-selection. And so we find that someone who can make their way through the maze of the Labor Party and successfully get themselves pre-selected will only possess the qualities that the electorate are looking for by accident. They won't have been qualities that were built or nurtured or encouraged 
through that maze of the Labor Party. And it's that misalignment that sits at the heart of our problem. Um, and uh, where, you know, people of real talent and capacity are pre-selected in the Labor Party by accident. Um, and, uh, and we need to make it that, that they are pre-selected uh, by intent. And as long well, they are pre-selected in places where there is no brand stacking. If you look at look at places where we are strong in Victoria, where there is no brand stacking, like Ballarat and Bendigo, where the history of or now Higgins or, or, or Higgins, yes, yes, my electorate, um, where we have pre-selected people that um, that are outstanding um, and, and have done for some years. You know, Bob Cameron, Jacinta Allen are outstanding parliamentarians and contributors. A good, and add to that, like a, a good example of that was uh, Michaela Settle, who is now the member for Bunny yes. Yong, and I think that that electric names about to change with redistributions. But Michaela is in some ways an outsider. She had been living overseas for a number of years. She worked in the West End as an event manager. She came home to uh, back to Victoria. She's a single mum, and she got a job as a field organiser, and she got trained in the skills and practices of organising. And then she decided, I want to run for public office in the Ballarat area, there were other candidates that were hanging around that had sort of felt like they were the natural candidates that would win the pre-selection. And Michaela just used her skills as an organiser and got on the phones and had cups of tea with the franchise and won them over. And, Amazing. you know, yeah. yeah, like to the David's point, you know, you can't go do that in say, I don't know, halt, because all of the votes are locked up. You can go have a cup of tea with all of the electors, but the majority of them are saying, when you, if you knock on their door, they'll go, oh, I'm a member of the Labor Party? I've got a vote <laughs> in what? You know, how do you, yes. how do you begin that conversation with someone, right? Well, it's not quite as grim as that, but they might say, um, I, I, my vote inside the Labor Party is directed by X. Indeed. And I and we all have, I don't know why I just chose Holt, because we all had that experience in 1999. <laughs> we, we did a knock on all those doors. I have had that experience in Holt. <laughs> <laughs> I got chased off someone's front yard. Don't you dare come back here again. Um, yeah. Yeah, so... They knew who they were voting for. Yeah, they certainly did. And their company was going to change their mind. <laughs> Mine were voting for the Liberal Party. How <laughs> <laughs> dare you, you like to get off my lawn. And, I mean, to again use the F word, you know, factions, um, what we've... This is... Uh, the factions hang on in the Labor Party structures because they're just sort of baked into it. Um, but they've... As we all know, factions have lost all meaning in terms of their relevance to contemporary ideological debates. Um, it's not NATO, NATO versus the Warsaw Pact anymore, which is what you know mattered when the left and right first formed. Um, and so, yeah, we've got. And again, you know, to focus on the right, which is the team I come from. Um, you know, in the right wing of the Labor Party, the creed was always, you know, win elections. Govern, govern well, support the leader. And that creed means that half of the right now loyally support Daniel Andrews, our socialist left premier, because he meets that criteria, right? He is winning elections. He is governing well. Um, we support the leader. Um, so the sort of ideological resonance uh, that once existed is completely gone. There is now just an organisational resonance which hangs on to, in, a, in almost a parasitic way to this structure, when in fact what we need to do is, as we have more of these ballots and more rank and file people get to decide, we will discover, you know, that there are people 
um, who are misdescribed in the left or misdescribed in the right, but who in fact have views that are all over the shop. And we see this time and time again. People are in factions because who they first met or where they are geographically, not where they are ideologically. Um, and, uh, you know, there's large swathes of the socialist left that aren't socialist or left. And there are large swathes of the How right that, you. that are in ideological terms um, com completely unformed, frankly. Um, and so uh, we have this sort of old rickety, now slightly renovated structure and sitting on top of that an antiquated factional system. And to that point, it was actually quite interesting to watch the most recent round of uh, pre-selections. I don't use that in air quotes because actually wasn't any votes because the party's in uh, administration. But the selection the appointments, yes. yeah, appointments. It's right, appointments for the next uh, uh, state election coming up in November. Um, there were some existing both MPs and also candidates that were in one particular faction, but then had to join another one in order to seek that pre-selection. And it was kind of like the way they were, I know we, people are critical of the way that baseball players are traded. And if anyone's seen the film Moneyball, when Billy Bean walks into one of the players' um, locker room and sort of says, uh, David Feeney, you've now been traded to the Kansas City Royals, give the general manager a call. Um, and we wish you the best of luck and then kind of walks out. Well, that's what's happening now in the Labor Party. They're sitting there with the candidate X and saying, you know, so-and-so, you're now in the AWU. Give Ben Davis a call and he'll sort out your pre-selection. You know, I mean, this doesn't mean anything anymore. It's just, it's like trading uniforms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but it's about power to bases aligned to unions. That's what pank factions have become. It's not, uh, you know, it's not anything more than that. And if we were trying at some stage to you know, empower the rank and file and, and disempower the unions. The great failure in that was that the rank and file didn't exist because they were stacked by a group of people. The institutions that survived any of the, have survived any of the corruption scandals are the unions because they are not corrupt because they function in such a tight regulatory environment. Mm -hmm. So factions have become a faction, a function of shuffling the, uh, the candidates around to match them to unions. Um, and on the right, I think there's about 32 different factions at the moment, and um, yeah, more more factions than unions, probably. I, yeah. I mean, I think your 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 point about um, factions being union based is particularly true of the right. I, I, I obviously yeah. know less about um, your wing of the party, but um, uh, I'm reluctant to uh, have the reform process go down a pathway which surrenders union power. Um, and my reason for that is because I'm in the right. <laughs> and I understand that trade unions, left or right, um, are fundamentally pragmatic organisations led by people who have to deliver actual accomplishments to their membership. So they're not virtue signalers um, and they're not woke um, activists by inclination. And, and they are not corrupt. And they're, and sure. they're, and they're not well, trammeled by brand stacking. So. So, this experiment we've had over the last 30 years of putting the hands in the power in the hands of brand stackers is a failure. Yes, but we don't want to replace that by putting that. My point is, um, I don't think the membership is Nirvana either. You know, they are. Oh, I agree. I agree. There are large swathes of the membership that are not representative of Labor voters or their communities. Um, and there are, you know, some parts of the membership that are, in my view, a bit cray cray. Um, unions are less, are, are, are a good. Um, uh, uh, anchor for the Labor Party uh, in the sense that they keep the Labor Party um, anchored in reality and they prevent it. They, they, they really are a way of preventing the Labor Party from doing what we see large swathes of the Democrats in the United States doing, for instance, 
which is spinning off into La La Land and then turning into a faculty lounge conversation, which is alienating for voters of all stripes. Um, the Labor Party is insulated from that problem by its union base, which, you know, and media commentators don't get this, but the union base, um, left and right, is, generally speaking, a pragmatic influence on the party. I am in furious agreement with you, David. I just I think where this started to go wrong was when we diluted the influence of unions in the Labor Party without doing the commensurate work about mm -hmm. about reforming membership in the Labor Party. So at the same time we did that, um, we we had thirty dollar memberships. You'll remember mm -hmm. you're allowed to pay by any means probable uh, a, a possible. Uh, bolt renewals were possible. What happened in the intervening years post the Crean reforms of the party was that brand stacking blossomed anew right there's the dreyfus reforms put a bit of a clamp on it then the the crane uh national conference um that was adopted in some states not all uh led to this terrible uh mushrooming over the next 10 years ballooning over the next 10 years of brand stacking um it was ill-considered it was uh, a reform taken in isolation it was a reform taken for publicity reasons rather than any practical reasons for the party and as a result we're still here with the essentially the same membership base um and very little reform around what it's like to be a labor party member can i um can i get your thoughts and the on next generation of branch stackers will have to wear balaclavas because the police will be looking for them well can let's talk about some of the recommendations that came out of the uh the the um, IBAC review, uh, two of them which I found, um, I won't say troubling, but I just, the cynic in me questions it. The first one was that the recommendation that they create a, a, a tribunal uh, and they also create a, a, like a parliamentary uh, watchdog or something. And I just felt like the solutions were just to create more bureaucratic bodies for them to get jobs. Uh, David, your thoughts on, on, on that, first of all? Well, it's, it's, it's a common policy response by every government of all political stripes now is to um, search for a commissioner or a tribunal, um, knowing that the that will satiate the chattering classes of, and sections of the media for a time. Um, I mean, I think what really needs to happen um, at the Victorian level is there needs to be a sensible rewriting um, of, what, of what the responsibilities are um, and um, boundaries are for political staff, um, which, in my view at the moment, are just absurd. Um, and, I mean, at the federal level, we don't seem to have this problem um, because at the federal level there is a recognition that um, political staff will engage in political work within boundaries that are defined. Um, and, you know, the devil finds things for idle hands to do. You need to make sure that these jobs are real um, and that people are busy. I, 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 I'm, I, I thought that, that really was sidestepping the fundamental question, which is there needs to be a proper write-up of what um, the responsibilities are of political staff and how they are to be treated. And, I, and Eric, I want to get to pick up on that as well because this is what I think, this is where uh, Deborah uh, Glass and, and IBAC were heading and I don't like the direction it's heading. And I, I, so I wholeheartedly agree with what David is saying, that we need some clarity in either legislation uh, um, in Victoria about what political, what political appointed private office staff can and cannot do. And to David's point, federally, they are allowed to... Um, they're allowed to... Uh, can they're allowed to work for the re-election of yes, their member. Yes, they're allowed to work to re-elect their member in Victoria. They're not, and it's also incredibly great, but I think that Deborah Glass and Robert Redlick 
don't want them to do that. And I don't like that because I think that that is fundamentally undermining our democracy and it just basically makes our democracy in the hands of public servants. So, Eric, what are your thoughts on all of that? So, um, yeah, I mean, in Western Australia and some other places, well, there's very, very tight rules about what staff can do, which go back, which is what they've, the model they've kind of, and Queensland, I think, where they've looked to uh, places where there's been vast corruption inquiries in the past and they've adopted that. But what people, I think fundamentally also, what people do in their private time has to be their business. So activists who work in uh, parliamentary offices, are they meant to not do anything out of out of their, out of of their hours to further the interests of their party? According to the that's, age, yes, absolutely. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. You can't put limits on people like that. And then, um, then, then let's just bite the bullet then and get rid of them. You know, I mean, yeah. the media uh, campaign to depoliticise everything. They want the whole world run by judges and commissioners. Um, so bite the bullet and get rid of them. You know, you can have a couple of people from the Department of Administration sitting at the front of an election office. I mean, this is reaching absurd levels. Yeah. Well, look, in, in Queensland and Western Australia, again, the ministerial staff are pretty much precluded from giving political advice, right? So it's... <laughs> it's um, no, it is, that makes the purpose of having them. It is really, you, you're a post box. Um, so all that all the, the bureaucracy is charged with doing is implementing the agenda of the government that is given to them in election time. Um, geez, in, in 1999, that would have been pretty thin. <laughs> <laughs> when I joined the Labor Party, I remember a, uh, a wise senior factional leader telling me the Labor Party is run by electorate officers. Yeah. And it was true. You know, state and federal electorate officers basically were the skeleton of organisation that ran branches and FEA structures and so forth. Um, mm. we, uh, you're demobilising. Uh, and so the, we, we saw that, you know, culturally the Labor Party is accustomed to these people um, playing a role. There's, of course, the Liberal Party and the Greens are just the same. And that's a um, good point to bring up there, David, because then obviously Dave, uh, the Premier, Dan Andrews, then went, went one, one further with his own recommendation, which is to um, uh, bring in legislative change that would deny public funding to political parties that didn't meet a certain standard of the way that they were operating. And so not just the Labor Party, but the Liberal Party and the Greens, or all the political parties now have to be roped into this. And then they all just absolutely lost their, they lost their shit over this. So much for being, I mean, the Greens are so about, all about transparency, except when it applies to them. So I just want, David, what are your thoughts on uh, on on uh, this proposal by the Premier? Well, I understand the politics of it. I mean, he took a Labor Party shit sandwich and he shared it with every other political party. Um, so it was good politics because it brought everybody into a conversation they didn't want to be in. Um, I mean, having these sorts of um, legislative standards apply to the Greens is going to be hilarious because... Um, you know, here in the People's Republic of Northcote, we've been privy to some spectacular splits and stacks and various other, you know, green-on-green green violence echoing through the suburbs. Um, it will be hilarious. I think it's a, uh, I, I think it's a mistake, actually, in public policy terms, um, because it means that the state is now not simply funding political parties but regulating and policing them. Um, and... Uh, I mean, how can we... We've not had a, a, a first principles review of the Labor Party or, or a review designed to generate cultural change, but we are adding the police to the equation. Um, so what are we creating here? We're creating the ingredients for the next 
um, scandal to be a much bigger, deeper, darker moment for the Labor Party. And our only solace is that the Greens and the Liberal Party might have now share the same risk. Um, I, 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 there's nothing to celebrate in this, I don't think. Eric, your thoughts? Look, I broadly agree. I will go back to our earlier comments, and I said I'd given up hope of, of reform, and David said this, I don't give up hope necessarily because we'll have another review in about another 10 years by someone because these problems will be elevated, and I think that's probably right. Um, this is obviously good politics. If the Libs or the Greens vote against this, they'll be voting in favour of corruption. Um, so uh, it's good politics, but... Yes, it still goes none of the way to addressing the fundamentals, which are, as that young man said, at some point in the chain of this enormous sausage machine, somebody has to make the judgment about what's right and what's wrong. And um, it does nothing about that. Um, the uh, I just want to get your thoughts on the media coverage uh, in, in, in sort of wrapping up this uh, uh, great conversation. Uh, but I also just want to acknowledge as well, I just noticed that uh, during the week that Deborah Glass um, uh, also made some commentary on this uh, ongoing uh, red shirts uh, saga that's been going on since 2015 and has now been, I think, officially put to bed following two police investigations, two ombudsman investigations, a parliamentary inquiry. Um, and her, um, her, her commentary on this was that it wasn't corruption, that the Premier didn't facilitate the, this pool arrangement, that these dawn raids on field organisers by police was a mistake. Uh, she wasn't clear why the MPs weren't traded, treated in the same uh, heavy-handed fashion as the staff and also that the police should publicly apologise to those field organisers. Um, and the police have come out and said that they are not going to apologise. So um, those field <laughs> organisers... I know. Those wonderful FOs are going to have to wait a little bit longer for their apology from the cop shop. Let's turn to the media coverage uh, of all of this. Uh, David, you've obviously always had some great thoughts about the media in uh, <laughs> over the lead up to the federal election. So I'm keen to get your thoughts about how the media have handled this whole saga and i just want to preface this by saying that you know the obviously the um the what's operate uh, investigation had like seven thousand um times that it referenced adam somirek yet daniel andrews was on the front page of both the age and the herald sun when this finding was handed down evidently it's got something to do with him uh david your thoughts on how the media covered this whole uh, story well they've been consistent um the herald sun has from the very first moments that um, Adam Somurek became a prominent politician in Victorian public life, uh, the Herald Sun has um, had a laser-like focus on its organisational requirement to, to get Daniel Andrews. Um, what that means, though, is that some years ago they misstepped when they essentially made common cause with Adam Somurek, thinking that um, he would be able to feed them in a way that they they could better embarrass um, Daniel and Labor. Um, and, of course, Red Shirts was in some ways the fruit of that alliance. Um, but it meant, of course, that when Adam Somurek was in deeper trouble and, and, and sort of beyond the pale, the Herald Sun was still attached to him. Um, and so we saw them sort of oscillate between trying to go light on him um, during the more you know, branch-stacking scandal um, and then and then they tried to broaden it to say, well, hey, hang on, what about other factions and other characters and constantly trying to say, well, where's Daniel in this? So the Herald Sun is consistent. It, it will look at all of these um, events, all of these happenings, all of these um, challenges with only one 
real goal, and that is how can we frame this story so as to damage the Labor Premier? Um, and so that's their modus operandi, and they're going to keep at it. Um, the age, of course, is different, but is differently consistent. It will focus its sight on these stories by saying, well, how can we um, uh, look at this story in a way that demonstrates we are holier than thou, um, morally superior, and we can scorn the political class um, and, you know, and, and stick to our longstanding narrative, which is that if only the Labor Party was more green, it would be better off. So um, we see the age... We, we, we see the age basically writing up a story that says, well, you know, the Labor Party is populated by horrible people and needs to be replaced by a tribunal of um, nice people from Methodist Ladies College and Scotch College. Um, and the Guardian. Yeah, and the Guardian, <laughs> exactly. So um, both are consistent, neither of them um, rooted in reality. And the real discipline for Labor, and Daniel's been superb at this, is just ignoring them. Um, the Herald Sun is not going to offer this Labor government any meaningful advice because it's just, it, it, it's dedicated to the government's destruction. Um, and uh, and the age is a schizophrenic organisation, which is sort of owned by Liberals and written by Greens. Eric. Yeah, so I'm, I'm always most comfortable when I'm talking about media and comms and stuff I know about better than David. So um, <laughs> let's, let's get good on to it. We won't get into ancient history or anything like that either. So, um, yeah, David's quite right with the Herald Sun. Now, most people who... The Herald Sun's readership's figures are artificially inflated by football and racing. Um, so very few people read the Herald Sun for their news. 60% um, of Australians now get their news from, from Facebook or online sources, uh, Facebook, Twitter, online sources. Um, the digital versions of The Age and The Guardian and other like organisations are as widely read. So people self-select the news they look at. So David's quite right in saying that who, get, who cares what they say? I mean, who cares? I will say this about Daniel, though. Daniel has not been afraid to make himself the centre of any crisis. Like, he has run to it. Oh, there's a landmine. Let me throw my body on it. Um, and that's Never waste he, a crisis. Yeah, never waste a crisis. That's because Daniel has always then been able to put himself at the centre of the response. The COVID, branch stacking, um, bushfires, whatever. Daniel has been there at the centre of the response. And that gives him a platform via Facebook or any other medium to post, to post responses that people watch and listen to. Um, and that's how he's managed to survive as leader all this time and, and maintain levels of uh, approval, which are well above John Brumby in his last term. Um, and that's been how he's done it. So uh, yeah. I, I don't care what they say. Um, if they make him the centre of the story, he can make himself the centre of the response. And that's where he's at his best. Yeah. And I just don't think they, I think they fail to understand that both the Herald Sun and the Age. I mean, Red Shirts is an interesting case, isn't it? Because um, that, when, the, when that issue first erupted, the Herald Sun worked very hard to build that story um, because it was backing a Liberal Party that was really scratching around for a cause. Um, in a, with an election coming around the corner. Um, and the Herald Sun um, thought, well, maybe this is the thing that can help generate some momentum for our Liberal Party brothers and sisters, and it didn't. Um, out there in Voterland, they just didn't care that political staff had been working part-time for the Labor Party to mobilise volunteers to campaign for Labor candidates. It just it wasn't the moment that the Herald Sun fought for and insisted upon. 
It's what they expect. It's what they expect. And and the issue this time will be is that you can, if they choose to campaign against Daniel on, on these issues, Daniel was the person who's actually the first person in Labor Premier who's actually done anything about these issues. So um there's a certain be- be- first premier. Yeah. There's a beady sort of vibe about it, isn't there? Mm. I-, I alone can fix it. And that's why you need to read it. Probably right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, yes, as much as the response missed, missed the mark, he's the person who could carry out what he has. Um, it's just disappointing that it didn't talk more to people, more to the aspirations of people who aren't members rather than people who are in the machine. Yeah, well, we need it. We need what we really needed this review to do was build the bricks of, you know, Labor Party 2.0. Um, which contemplates new patterns of organisation and understands the new ideological frameworks in which debates are being held, which is not left versus right. It's a whole lot of different debates that are convulsing, um, you know, social democrats around the world. Uh, instead, yeah. we've just got the plumber in, and we've made sure that the old house is, um, you know, workable again. We, we still just sell the same model product, right, in any colour but black. In any, any colour, in any key you like, colour you like, sorry, as long as it's black. So you don't get to choose the issues that you're interested in, what you want to do, um, how you engage. It's this. This is what it is. And it's at this cost, whether you like it or not. And we're the only membership organisation I know doing that. Even my, my stuffy golf club um, allows you to pay by month and pay only summer memberships now. Um, and here we are. We can't even get to a point where we get the fees below that of a new plasma TV. Mm. The smallest AFL club in Victoria has three times as many members as the Victorian LP. But you might enjoy watching a game of AFL. You're not going to enjoy going to a Kyneton branch meeting, mate, or a a Hawthorne branch meeting. Gentlemen, uh, once again, I've really enjoyed uh, your insights uh, and reflections uh, on the state of the Victorian branch of the Labor Party. It's been fascinating. Look, as I said to you guys before we put today's show together, the last time you both came on, it was the, the it was our biggest uh, listened to episode of Socially Democratic in 2000. I had no idea Eric was so popular. Indeed. Uh, look, you can... Continue to trade off my popularity. <laughs> so I, I really do once again, and I think our audience will also concur, that we really uh, uh, value and appreciate your uh, insights and your lived experience, and there's a lot of things that we can take from it. And I will say to everyone listening, look, if you are, you've got more ideas and you want to keep pushing this, um, hit us up on Dunn Street, either on our socials or just go on our website, dunnstreet.com.au. You'll find the Get In Touch With Us. And just send us an email and uh, we will see what we can do about that and try and generate some kind of momentum to create cultural and structural change to a party, an organisation that means so much to all of us um, in, uh, and wanting to keep on re-electing Labor governments, both state and, uh, and federal. Eric, David, love you both. Keep up the great work and uh, we'll uh, talk to you soon. See you later. See you, mate. Hey there. Thanks for listening to Socially Democratic. Did you like the podcast? Hit the follow or subscribe button and be sure to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser. And to get all the latest updates on Socially Democratic, follow Dunn Street on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and LinkedIn. And we'll see you next Friday.